Hi, Pastor Rob here from City East Church and Entil Ministries. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. I want to talk to you today about a place, a place that we call heaven. Um, Bill requested me do this message. He's been requesting it for quite a while and I've put it off until today. So, And I think we need to have more messages about heaven. Because you know what? Compared to life on earth, we're going to be spending far more time in heaven than we are on earth. So it's good to know what's going to take place there. Now, if you go into Kuron Bookstore and ask for Karen, make sure you get your commission. <laughs> ask Karen, and she will show you all these books of people that claim to have had heavenly visits and have been there and have seen wonderful and remarkable things and have written them down. Now, I, I sort of collect books like that because I just get really encouraged by them. Now, even if half of those were true, say half are true but half are true, even if half of it is true, man, I, I want to be there. I want to go to that place. And I must tell you now, this is not the real life. This is the probationary life. This is the temporary life. This is the life of testing, the life of where we're scrutinised under the eye of God. We're getting examined. Everything we do, everything we say has an effect on where we end up. Now, when I say that, is if you're under the blood of Jesus, you will walk according to the will of God. If you step out from under the blood of Jesus, you won't walk according to the will of God. So, as Christians, we must stay under the blood of Jesus. And when you're under the blood of Jesus, you won't swear because that will grieve the Holy Spirit. You won't get angry because that will grieve the Holy Spirit. So when we get angry, what we're doing is we're stepping out of the, from under the blood of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to be condemned. That doesn't mean that we're going to be judged. You got angry that once. You stepped out and that's it. You're out of here. We, God is a gracious, gracious God. But there's people around, there's Christians around that have stepped out from under that blood and have refused to step back in. They've refused to step back in and get back under the covering and they haven't repented and they have rejected Jesus for the rest of their life. Sadly, some incredible Christians have gone down that way. So I want you to be aware that salvation depends on walking with Jesus to the end of your life and not stepping out from underneath it. Under, un, from underneath the blood of Jesus, staying with him, as in with your heart. Even if we do wrong, we can always go back and ask for forgiveness. Heaven is probably the greatest hope of mankind. Is that right? Has anyone got any ideas for a better hope than heaven? I know from my studies of religions around the world that there's no greater hope than heaven. Heaven is wonderful. It's a remarkable place. And I'm going to try to impart that today. I believe that we should all study heaven. We should study it and find out what it's like so that when we talk to people, because remember that Jesus came preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So he came preaching that we should repent, but he also came preaching about heaven. He came preaching about it so that he could increase the faith of those that believed that, hey, there's a wonderful, wonderful place waiting for you, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you so that you can be where I am. 
Jesus says in, and this is the scripture, John 14, verses 1 to 3, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms or mansions. Some versions say mansion. I like mansions better. I don't want just a room in heaven. I want a mansion in heaven. <laughs> if it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So Jesus, when he, he ascended to heaven, he ascended so that he could send the, the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. That's one of the reasons. Another reason was he's going there. He had work to do. He had to go and build my mansion. And I've, I'm, I've got exacting requirements. I think Bill has even more exacting requirements. <laughs> Hey, there's a scratch there, Jesus. I want that. <laughs> yeah, but um, he knows what we like. So when he builds us something, he's going to build it according to our design. So exactly as you like it, like the way Nicole likes things, that's how your house is going to be in heaven. Your mansion, not a house, it's a mansion. It's going to have hedges. No, I won't even have hedges, I reckon. I, I believe that heaven doesn't have fences. You know, I don't think he, heaven gets carved up with fences. You can't come over here because this is my place and that's yours. Heaven is one open place with mansions everywhere. And the doors are never locked and they're always open because you don't get cold drafts blowing through in heaven. Okay. Now, you know, Jesus said this, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me, in my Father's house. And I always, you know, in my simplistic brain, oh, he's got a house and then there's many rooms in that house and we all get a room, so he's got a really big house. But you know what? That's not the way it is. Back in the, in the old days, like in the days of Saul, it was the house of Saul, wasn't it? Then there was the house of David that came after the house of Saul. And that house was the whole family, that's everyone that belonged to David was the house of David. That's what they termed it in the, in the scriptures. So when he says, in my father's house, it's in my father's family are many mansions. So we're in his family now. Is that right? Once we're born again and we said, yes, I want salvation in Christ. I, want to, I believe in him. He has brought you in and he has inherited you as his own. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has pre prepared for those who love him. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. There is something so amazing waiting in heaven that we are going to be in awe forever. We are never, ever going to get used to it. You know, you can get a really good present at Christmas and you're like, wow, I've got that present. You're excited for that day. You're excited for the next day. And then you're sort of excited the next day. And then slowly it's okay. And that's normal. And now I'm, you know, pretty well sick of it. You know, the Xbox, pack it up, <laughs> put it in the cupboard. I'm over it. Might take a bit longer than an Xbox. Maybe a few more weeks than that. But you know what? We get sick of things, don't we? Now somehow that won't occur in heaven. We are going to be in awe forever. He is going to have, we are going to be so gripped with awe that it's going to just resonate through heaven at all times. We will never get depressed. We'll never get bored. It, we will never get used to it. We will be one million years in heaven and we will be saying, man, this place is just mind 
mind-blowing. Actually, the longer I'm here, the more amazing it gets. Not like on earth, the longer you're here, the more mundane it gets. You know? Who, get, who gets bored? Put up your hand if you get bored. Yeah? I think we've all had a dose of boredom. You know what? In this day and age, with all the stuff that we have, kids are probably more bored than what we were as kids. They have all these computers and phones and Facebooking and everything else, and mum, I'm bored. This is boring. Back in my day, when we were kids, we had less. We still got bored, but we didn't get bored as frequently. You know, I, I didn't never got used to climbing a tree. I always thought it was magic, you know, climb a tree. I'm up the top. <laughs> Until my mum found me up there. <laughs> Heaven is referred to as a gift. And gifts are surprises. And a gift will, this gift, as I said, will keep us surprised forever and ever and ever. I'm going to attempt to describe to you the beauty and the glories of our heavenly home. And I, but I want to mention something of the processes of entering into heaven. Will everyone go to heaven? Unfortunately, they won't. Not everyone will get into heaven. Jesus even says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into heaven. Not even professed Christians. Some professed Christians will not enter in. Many people today assume that a good person who has lived a good life by men's standards will go to heaven. Most people don't want to be told that if heaven is real, that they cannot enter it by their own good deeds. Has anyone ever had an argument with someone when you're trying to tell them that you know, you've, you've got to accept Jesus to enter into heaven and they say, no, I'm a good person. If heaven is real, God will let me in. So what they're doing is they're telling God that they're legally allowed to enter. So it's, it's the equivalent of someone coming up to my door, not having arranged anything with me, knocking on the door, and I answered and said, hello. He says, yeah, how you going, mate? My name's Jeff, and I'm just going to come in and move in with you. Sorry? And he's a criminal. <laughs> and he's a criminal. So you don't even... And he, yeah, he's a serial killer. So make it really bad. <laughs> Has he got a right to enter my house? What would, I, what would I say? I know what I'd say. What would you say? <laughs> I'd say, mate, for a start, I don't know you. I don't know where you come from. I don't know where you've been. And by the look of those tattoos, I don't know if I want you in this house. Okay? I have a right to allow who I want to enter into my house. And guess what? God has an even greater right. And you don't mess with God. See, that bad guy might go thump and knock me to the ground, tie me up and then enter my house and he'll stay there with me in the corner, you know, screaming. But you try to do that to God and God will say, get out, and he'll throw him in the lake of fire. So that is, that is the truth about heaven. You can only enter in through Jesus. The Bible tells us without holiness, in Hebrews twelve fourteen, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. To enter into heaven, we must be holy. And now the problem is our good deeds are as filthy rags before God. So no matter how good we can be, we cannot become holy. You can only become holy when you are under the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 10.10 says, And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We've been made holy through 
the sacrifice of Jesus, not through doing good things. Now, that doesn't mean you don't do good things. It just means it's not those good things that give you entrance. And we've got to keep these, this really clear in our mind. And this is another thing. The evidence that you are under the blood of Jesus, the evidence that you are walking in Christ, is you will do good things. Because if you're truly under his will, you cannot help but do good things. You cannot help but do the right thing. Therefore, you won't steal. You won't, you know, defraud your neighbour. You won't do bad things. You will only be doing good things. So I always know when I'm outside of God's will. It's pretty clear. For a start, the Holy Spirit to me is like a slap in the face. He comes up and goes, whack, Rob, you did something really bad there. Get back under the blood and repent. And I'm, you know, it's a daily thing for me. Now, Romans 6, to 23 says, But now that you have been set free from sin, I like that, now that we've been set free from sin, who feels set free from sin? Sometimes I don't. But you know what? If we're under the blood of Jesus, we are set free from sin. The moment we step out from under the blood of Jesus, sin jumps on us like a roaring lion, Satan trying to devour us. So as long as we stay under the blood of Jesus, Satan cannot grab us. Is that true? So we've got to stay there. And you have become slaves to God, and the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are slaves of God. Who likes being a slave? You know what? I wouldn't want to be a slave of anyone else. You know? Actually, I'm a slave to my family. And sometimes they're slaves. Little slaves. Go and clean your room. But um, I don't mind being a slave to people I love. Is that right? Slave in in the positive sense. Now, when you're a slave to God, this leaves being a slave, you reap holiness. So you reap holiness. Holiness becomes a harvest in us when we are slaves to God. Who wants a harvest of holiness that you can reap? We need that. We need to harvest hope. We need to reap it. We need to continue to be slaves to God so that God can do that deep work in us. Because as long as we're connected to him, when we're obeying him, we do the right thing. The Bible tells us that as we enter into heaven through Jesus, Jesus calls himself a gate. I like this. John 10, 7 says, Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. He's a gate. He opens up and allows his people to enter in. That's how he referred himself to. John 10, 9 says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. There are two kinds of heaven discussed in the Bible. There is the heaven which we go to when we die. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, it says, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So when you're absent from the body, the moment you die, you go straight to be with Jesus. The scriptures say that. Now, if you're not in Jesus, the moment you die, you go straight to hell, the Bible tells us. That's another sermon altogether. But it's got to be mentioned because any time we talk about heaven, we've got to also have an appreciation for the opposite extreme. Heaven is so wonderful, so glorious, so beautiful. It's unconceivable how amazing it is. Yet hell is so terrible, so profoundly bad, that you can't even conceive how bad hell is. 
two total extremes of what God, want, what God will give you depending upon what you choose in your life. You either choose Jesus or you choose Satan. Because people choose hell. Jesus doesn't send anyone to hell. They choose it. I spoke to a guy the other day at Castle Plaza. I'm walking past him and he's walking like this. He's really bad. And he looked really decrepit, bent over. And God says, go and pray for that man. And I'm like, oh. right at the doors of Castle Plaza, do I really... Go and pray for him. And I was about to walk through. I was about to say, no. But, okay. I went up. Excuse me, mate. Um, I can see that you, you know, you've got a bad hip. Do you mind if I pray for you? And then he's like, what? Like this. I was, I'm trying to keep it down. Please, mate. Um, do you, I, I just feel that I, I, to ask you, and someone starts stuttering like, uh, 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 do you mind if I pray for you? And he, he just gave it to me. No, I don't need that. Carries on. And he really got stuck into me. And I'm like, all right, all right, all right. No worries. God bless you. Walk away. Thanks, God, for that. <laughs> Put me in that situation. So I'm used to it. But he chose not to step into Jesus. He chose not to accept God. He even said to me, I don't have time to think about God. And you know he's going to have a lot of time to think about his bad decisions if he doesn't turn to Jesus. And we've got to keep this in mind. You know, it's a hard message, but it's the truth. We can't dodge it. Hell is real. Heaven is real. More real than we are. We're going to spend more time there than we are here on this, this short space of time. This life is short, fleeting, fleeting. And for some people, it fleets even quicker. Do you know Johnny knows... A lot of kids that have been killed in car accidents, teenagers, doing crazy stuff, whack, stoby pole wrapped around, they're all messed up and they're dead. Many kids, he's, he's said, oh, this kid, I knew him and, you know, he's dead. You know, life is fleeting. We must make the correct decision while there is still time. And even teenagers and 20-year-olds have to make the right decision. So there's two heavens. One is we enter um, the heaven that exists now. We enter by our spirit on death. We just go straight there. And there at the moment is everyone who's ever died in Jesus is in that heaven right now. And they're called the cloud of witnesses. But there's also a heaven which is talked about in the Bible, which is the heaven that I'm going to describe because there's more descriptions of it, is the heaven when heaven comes down upon earth in Revelation 21. And that heaven is when the heavenly Jerusalem descends and lands on, on the earth and heaven and earth become one. Now, 1 Corinthians 15.51 talks about our imperishable bodies. Now, I'm sure you've all heard, quite a few of you have heard about imperishable bodies. This body is not the real body. This body is going to be changed because you couldn't enter heaven with this body. You can't actually enter into eternity in this body. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 55, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. 
Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Now, the last trumpet is the trumpet that blows just as Jesus returns. The seventh trumpet is blown. Jesus comes back. And then it says the dead in Christ will rise first in their imperishable bodies because as Jesus resurrects them from the grave, they will be raised up in their imperishable bodies. Then those that are living in Christ will also be lifted up straight after that and we will be with the Lord forevermore. But we will also be changed, as it says here, within the twinkling of an eye into our imperishable bodies. And imperishable bodies are just bodies that cannot perish. They can't perish. There's no chance of it. And then we'll become new creatures. The Bible says we are new creatures now, doesn't it? We are new creatures in Christ. But let me just say, we are the seed, the seed of a new creature. In 1 Peter 1.23 it says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So we are our seed. We're going to be sown into an imperishable body. So you're going to look like you do now, but just far better. You know, I'm going to be amazing. In heaven. <laughs> you know, you're going to want to see me. You're going to, where's Rob? I just want to look at him. Okay, big-headed pastor. <laughs> so this body is not the real body. It's a seed. We're a seed. You know, you, get, you look at a seed, and then you look at a plant that it becomes, and they're two different-looking things, aren't they? You know, so this seed is going to be planted. We're, we're like little embryos. We could say we're an embryo of our future self. John 10.28 says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. 1 John 5.11 says, And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Isn't that amazing? We are new creatures in Christ, eternal creatures, right now. But we must remember we're the seed of the new creature. Because I tell you what, I am not the new creature in the sense that, you know, I'm fallible. The imperishable me will be infallible. Because God's going to take out sin. He's going to remove sin from my flesh. And that's going to be part of the imperishable. Because the reason is, is when Adam and Eve first stepped in the garden, they were imperishable. They couldn't die. They were immortal. But from the moment they ate of, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that fruit entered their body, it became part of their flesh. Now sin is in them. And from that moment, their body was Perishable. So we're going to be transformed back to what we should have been if Adam and Eve had never eaten the fruit. Ephesians 2, 19 and 20 says, Consequently, we must understand this. You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. When it says built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, it's telling us that our faith in the scriptures, which we've accepted as written by the apostles and prophets, gives us this confidence to believe that we are members of God's household. Who believes that the Bible, that this book, is the, is the word of God? Yeah? Now, there's discrepancies about translations, isn't there? You always hear it. King James is better. You know what? No translations exact to the original. You know what's the most exact translation to the original? The original. 
you really want to know it, read the Greek or read the Hebrew? Because no translation is perfect. But the essence of it is. All right? The thoughts of it is. There's certain translations I wouldn't go near, but generally the essence of it is, it was, you know, I'll believe the same thing. Now, there are better translations than others. I like Amplified. Um, I find it not a good pulpit version to read because it's very in-depth and, and can sometimes confuse people. And the NIV, I find, is a nice, easy way to translate the scriptures to people. Does that make sense? In essence, the Word of God is the Word of God, and we must stand on it. That's our foundation. Now, Philemon, oh no, I think it's Philippians 3, 20 to 21 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Isn't that wonderful? He's going to transform, and that's, again, the turning into our imperishable bodies. Now, just one last thing before I just go into the heaven account, just quickly. Who believes that you've heard many ministers talking about, and I've actually preached it as well, that in eternity we're not governed by time? Who's, who's heard that? Right now, I've heard that. Eternity, because God is outside of time. And he created time, therefore when we enter into eternity, we're not governed by time. Now, logically, you think about this. God created time. We are a creation of God, and to be a creation, we are also under time. God is outside of time, but we're not God, so how can we step outside of time with God? God is from the beginning to the end. He's seen it all. So God is everywhere in between at once. Creations cannot do that. Angels cannot do that. We cannot do that. We can only tell the future because God tells us the future if he, if he does, if he chooses us. Or he'll tell his angels to come and give us a message about the future. But that's because God's already seen it. So humans are under time. And I'll explain that from the scriptures as, as well. Theologian Rick Rudd said about time in heaven, Many wonder if in, in heaven we will be subject to time, but there is really no reason to believe we will not be. To be infinite in relation to time is an attribute only God can possess. We know that scripture speaks of months in heaven. In Revelation 22, too, where the tree of life, which is along the, the river of life, and it bears fruit every month, a different fruit every month. And when I used to read that, I used to think, hang on, I thought we were outside of time. No, in heaven there is time, because every month there'll be a new fruit. And also it talks about ages to come. In Ephesians 2, 7, in ages, and upon ages in heaven. Certainly also music, which will be sung in heaven, requires a temporal mode of existence. Music requires time. I'm a music teacher. I know it requires time because I've heard it when it's not played in time. A lot. It sounds terrible. Time is required, good time, <laughs> to make music sound right. It seems apparent also that in heaven we'll be aware to some degree of what is transpiring on earth. So people in heaven now are aware. And you also hear that... They're talking about those coming up saying, when, O oh Lord, are you going to do this in the book of Revelation? How long? How long? So they're talking about time and asking God what's going to happen in the future. So that sort of, I think, settles it. There's a lot more you can study on that. But we are going to be governed by time. So yes, Bill, in a million years, in eternity, I'm going to come up to you and we're going to take, have a toast and I'm going to say, we've been here a million years. Isn't this amazing? 
and we've only scratched the edge of eternity. We have got an eternity to go. We've lived a million years and it seems like that, you know, and it's, we've got billions, billions to go and we're never going to die. And it's always going to be amazing. It's always going to be fun. So what is heaven like? Can we all open up in our Bibles to Revelation? So from the following passage, we're going to ascertain that there is no sickness in heaven. There's no death. There's no tears. There's no end to heaven. We can't drown in heaven because we can't die. So we can stay under the water as long as we want. That's going to be amazing. We can't starve to death because you can't die. So eating is a pleasure in heaven. It's something that we do because it's a beautiful thing to do. How many people like eating? Good, tasty food. It's nothing like putting a beautiful piece of tasty food in your mouth. There's no darkness in heaven, nor a sun, for the glory of God will give us light. Nor do we need sleep, because we will never fatigue, but I believe sleep will be granted us because it's a wonderful experience. Who enjoys sleep? Who loves a really good sleep? I'm just going to read through from Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is that heaven which I'm talking about, when heaven becomes one with earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now I've given that a bit of thought. Why is there a sea? Why do we have salt water on the earth now? When you've got an infection, salt water is good for the infection, isn't it? Rub some salt water in it. It's like an antiseptic. Well, the earth is one big infection. So God's wrapped it with sea in his wisdom because it purifies the earth that it surrounds. But because God's going to purify everything, we won't need the sea anymore. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. How amazing is that? God will be with us. You know, at the moment, we worship an unseen God. Is that true? When we're worshipping, we're just worshipping by faith. We can't see him, but we still worship him because we just know in our heart of hearts, even outside of all of our apologetic studies, we still know in our heart of hearts he must be real. Something in me, the Holy Spirit in me, testifies to his reality. But in heaven, you don't have to have that kind of faith. You will just worship him because he'll be right in front of you, smack bang in front of you. Jesus will walk up to you. God the Father will be there and will see his glory. And it says in verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So no one will have to cry any longer. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. This whole earth is going to be remade and recreated. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. So this water of life is simply that. It gives life to everything so have you ever drank a glass of water and you feel real terrible and you drink a glass of water hoping that's going to revive you in some form, make you feel good? You think, I'm going to drink lots of water today, hoping it's going to give you... Because we're always hoping that water is going to give us life. Well, this water will do exactly that. 
He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur, and this is the second death. You know that list of, of people who are in sin? That list, it is exhaustive. Everyone who has ever done anything wrong on earth will fall under one of those categories. He categorises everyone. There's not a, a list that is didn't cover. Um, do a bit of a meditation on that. So all those people will be thrown into the lake of burning sulphur, and this is the second death. I plead with you all, don't be among them. Don't be among those. Believe in Jesus. Give him glory. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. Just go down to verse 15. The angel who talked to me, uh, talked with me, had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And the city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia. If you can imagine a cube, 12,000 stadia is 2,200 kilometres. 2,200 kilometres that way, 2,200 kilometres that way, and 2,200 kilometres that way. And it looks like this. Big giant cube. But it's clear as crystal. It's gold, but it's pure gold. It's like, like glass. So it's not quite yellow. Or it could shine, but who knows? <laughs> Probably shines all sorts of colours. Now that's a big city. That is a plant. See how this one is depicting, well you can't see it on this projector, but it's depicting a little city at the bottom. That's way out of scale. That one edge of that will go from here to Queensland. Another edge in distance will go here to like to Perth. And then it's that far that way as well. So it's a planet. And they say from people who have claimed to have walked in that city that it's full of levels. It's levels all the way, a 2,200 kilometres level upon level upon level. And the, the wonders in there, you could walk through there forever and never exhaust the wonder of that place. It is so amazing. So it's an incredible thing. And now that's going to come down and land upon current Jerusalem. And it's going to stay here. And we're going to be able to walk in and out of it. Now if we go down to verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Why do we need a temple when God's there? You go into a temple to worship God, but if God's right in front of you, why, why build a temple? He's right there. So let's just worship him in, in person. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its Lamb. So at the moment, we, are, we receive our light from the sun. Is that right? So when the sun shines from one direction, it shines against me and it casts a shadow. And the shadow is darkness. In, in heaven, or when heaven comes upon earth, 
there will be no shadows because the glory of God will emanate from every direction. So there won't be a shadow cast because light will be everywhere and it will be the light of God, the glory of God. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter in or enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There will be no need for the light of the lamp and the light of the sun. And the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. That is an amazing, amazing hope, isn't it? As I said before, I've studied the religions of this world, and no faith on earth has a hope like Christianity. All the other religions on earth are man-made religions, man-thought-up religion, but only Christianity is a God-made faith. And so we have a faith that's real. We have a place that is real to go to, and the Bible is very clear on, on how amazing it is. Isn't that exciting? But I must add that only those who are born again will enter into this life, which is for us, and only those whose names are in the Lamb's book of life. If you know in your heart that you're saved... If you know that you've accepted Jesus and you're walking in Jesus, I just want you to put your hand up today. If you know that you're saved, if you know that Jesus is your, is your light and you walk by his light, yeah? But if, if something in you is stirring and you feel like, if I die, I don't think I'm going to go to heaven because I haven't been faithful to Jesus, I haven't believed in him, I haven't giving him my heart. I, I, I want you to come up to me afterwards and just have a chat with me because it's so easy to be saved. It's so easy to be saved, isn't it? All you've got to do is say, Jesus, just forgive me for what I've done. Forgive me for my sins. And you know what? When you get forgiven for your sins, it's the most amazing feeling. It's terrible at the time because it's like stuff comes up. But once you've given your heart to Jesus, he sets you free. And it's, it's simply a confession followed with repentance. Confess Jesus that he died on the cross for my sin. I thank you, Jesus, for what you did. I want to enter into that. I want that life that the Bible talks about. And I want you to just know today that if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just come up and see me. Because Jesus wants you. He died for you. He died to give you eternal life. John 3.3 says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. If you've never given your life over to Jesus, I want to give you this opportunity to be born again. He tells us unless we repent, we will perish. Jesus says unless you repent, you too will perish. We need to repent. And you know what? When I first repented, it, it bruised my ego. It bruised my pride. I felt, man, I just, 
repent, what, I have to grovel? It's got nothing to do with groveling. It's got to do with getting right with God, coming to Him on His terms and living by Him according to His terms. Lord, I just thank you for this message today. I I pray that it has hit the mark, that it's reached us, it's reached our hearts and helped us to understand more about the amazing place that you have for us, that wonderful place called heaven. Lord, I know that so many people will consider heaven just this fairy tale, crazy fairy tale. But Lord, this is no fairy tale. And Lord, you're no fairy tale. You are real, you are living. And one day soon we're all going to stand before you. Everyone who's ever lived is going to stand before you and have to give an account of everything, all the deeds they've done in their body. So Lord, I just pray that at that time, that all those that come into this church will be standing with your people will receive a rich welcome into the kingdom of God. So I just pray, Lord, that you just do a deep work in us. Do a deep work. If any of us have been straying from underneath your blood, I pray, Lord, that you'll do a deep work in us and and cause us to keep going back. It's so easy to get distracted in this life. So easy to forget about you in this life. It's so easy to stop reading the Bible. Lord, I just pray that you put that passion and hunger back in our hearts to read the scriptures, to pray, to seek your face, to live for you with every every drop of our being. And I pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Bina. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that we are able to enter that place with you when our time comes, Father. Meantime, Lord, we ask that you help us walk and be holy as you are holy, Father. Lead us on that everlasting path. Thank you, Jesus.